Hello, welcome to another episode of Field of Screams podcast. Today we will be talking about Friday the 13th, part 4, the final chapter. This is titled the final chapter because one of the producers, Frank Mancuso, he really just wanted to move on from this whole franchise. He felt like it was starting to get repeated a lot. There were a lot of copycat slasher films that were just like Friday the 13th. The formula was being repeated so often, he just wanted out. He said, we need to end this. We need to end this good trilogy on a high note. So this next one, the fourth one, this is going to be our last hoorah. He goes up to Joseph Zito and convinces him to direct the film, saying this is the last film in the franchise. Zito is a perfectionist. He wanted to make the best one of the series, ended on a high note. They brought in Tom Savini. Everyone was pretty stoked to make this film. And as a result, it did pretty well. A lot of people, in hindsight, looking back at the franchise of Friday the 13th, there's a, there is a lot of people that choose part four as their favorite, and I can see why. It has Crispin Glover. It has Corey Feldman. It has Ted White as Jason, who a lot of people, they love Ted White as Jason. So talking about all the good things behind the scenes that the film has going for it, let's talk about the movie itself. I mean, that's why we're here, right? A cool thing about this movie and the past two movies is really parts two, three, and four, they're connected in a way that all of the murders and events of the past three films, they kind of line up to happen in about a week, right? Part two happened on Friday the 13th. I'm pretty sure part three took place a day or two after that. And then after the events of three... Um, we see the cops come in and they're collecting Jason's body. They're in the middle of the massacre in part three. And they take him to the mortician. And here's where we start the film off. I mean, we all know Jason's not really dead. And the filmmakers know that we know that. So how do they spice up the scene before he comes back to life? Well, let's take our normal goofy characters that show up in a Friday the 13th movie. And let's start off right off the bat with Mortician Axel and Nurse Morgan. Now, Mortician Axel, his license to be a mortician could be pulled any day if he didn't die here. I mean, the guy's just kind of walking around being perverted, hitting on the nurses, hitting on Nurse Morgan. Nurse Morgan goes into the room with him that has Jason in it. And what does Mortician Axel do? Axel puts on this tape of, like, aerobics women dancing... And they're like thrusting their butts in a circle and the camera's like zooming in on it. And he's like, I think he's eating a ham sandwich or something. He's like, oh, I love this. And Nurse Morgan's like, why are we watching that? And she turns it off, but then he turns it back on. And this is the little dilemma we have before Jason comes back to life. As Axel's watching his favorite aerobics women gone wild special, Jason comes back to life and slits his throat and twists his head all around in his body. Really cool kill right from the get-go. I mean, let's be honest, no one's really rooting for Axel. I do enjoy the weird characters in the Friday the 13th series, but I mean, we all know what their main purpose is. Their purpose is to be goofy or weird, and then they're going to add to the body count of these movies. So that's exactly what he does. Jason kills Nurse Morgan with a scalpel, and the movie was originally going to have blood run down her leg, but the tube that was going to spray blood down her leg... It kind of broke, and it looked like she was just peeing blood. 
It looked almost funny, so I guess they didn't want to use it. But yeah, Jason kills both of them, and now we're off to the races. Now let's talk about the main cast that we're going to see in this movie. There is Tommy Jarvis, his sister Trish Jarvis, and his mom, Tracy Jarvis. Now granted, I've repeated the name Jarvis a lot of times, I mean... Tommy does become the foil to Jason. I mean, the biggest anti-hero that Jason's going to face in the franchise. And this is the beginning of it. So, I thought I'd give his family a little shout-out with the Jarvis name. Now, the Jarvis family, I mean, Trish and Tracy, they're both kind of into athletics. It seems like they like to go jog and do aerobics. To where Tommy's kind of the nerd of the family. He creates masks. Um, these masks that he make... They are legit masks, literally better than the ones you can find in Party City. The masks that were used in these films, they were actually uh, part of the props, belonging to a guy that worked with Tom Savini and lot, and they actually named Tommy after Tom Savini. So we got the Jarvis family, who's basically just chilling on Camp Crystal Lake. Very nice house, very calm family, especially in contrast to our other set of main characters. Our other main characters are, you guessed it, churchgoers. No, they're horny teens going to Camp Crystal Lake. And these teens are Jimmy, played by Crispin Glover. And we have Ted, who's played by Lawrence Monison. And I mean, when we first meet the group of people, these two are who we're mainly focused on, at least in the beginning. We have Jimmy and Ted. Jimmy seems pretty innocent enough. He's talking to Ted, uh, basically about trying to get laid while they're going on this trip. Ted, I don't know if Ted's as likable as Jimmy. Ted kind of reminds me of that friend you have that, you know, he's a, he's a good dear friend and he's good to you. But you know sometimes he causes problems and does some weird things. But you would defend him and that's Ted. And Ted does do some really weird stuff later in this film. I mean, not stuff that my friends would do, but... It's a Friday the 13th movie, so what do you expect? While they're talking about getting laid, there is a joke that goes throughout the film. It's repeated a lot. And it's when Ted tells Jimmy that he's a dead fuck. And I'm guessing what they mean by that phrase is like they're bad in bed. But I mean, this phrase is said a lot throughout the film. And, you know, that's just kind of their go-back-to saying between them two. But while they're talking about being bad in bed, we do get a shot of Pamela Voorhees' tombstone. And when we see this, this is actually the first time in the franchise where they acknowledge that her name was Pamela before it was always Mrs. Voorhees. So, that's a cool thing. After seeing the tombstone, we then see some homeless lady looking for a ride. She's eating a banana, and of course Jason kills her right away. Another one of those goofy side characters... As she's being murdered, she squeezes her banana, and we get a zoom-in of that. Awesome. Now, in Jimmy and Ted's group, there are six people in that little group. And then they stumble upon twins named Tina and Terry. And, I mean, Tina and Terry, they kind of just add to the, the dilemma of the boys trying to get laid. And they all go skinny-dipping in the scene, and they show a lot in the skinny-dipping scene. Even the guys are taking everything off so we have that going on while the skinny dipping shenanigans are going on 
The Jarvises pick up a hitchhiker. Also, they actually pick, pick up their hitchhiker. They don't leave him there like the kids do. And the hitchhiker's name is Rob. And Rob, when he gets into the house, he's just like, Hey, I need somewhere to stay. And the Jarvises are like, more than happy to accommodate his needs. I mean, they take him inside their house. She even lets Rob go into Tommy's room. Like, all alone with Tommy. And it's kind of like, man, isn't this the time period where serial killers were roaming around? Like, you wouldn't be a little more on edge. And just to kind of top that off, while Rob's in the car, I mean, he gets away from small talk pretty quickly. He starts asking things like, I didn't think anyone lived this far in the woods. Are there any kids? Vacationers? People like that? And they just kind of brush it off. And she's like, oh yeah, there's like a group of like kids out here partying in camp. And you know, they're around. And he's just like, huh, interesting. And it's just a very weird dialogue with Rob that the mom does not question at all. And I, I don't know. Watching it, I'm just like, come on, mom. Like, you gotta, you gotta ask him some more questions than this. And just letting him in Tommy's room? Ugh. So while they introduce us to Rob, they kind of shed some light on a few other characters. We got some Samantha who is basically a horny girl. I mean, I know these Friday the 13th movies, they don't go that deep with characters. And then we have Paul, who's just a very crappy boyfriend. While they're inside partying, um, Samantha obviously wants attention. She's like, hey, you know, we should go do something. And Paul's like talking to one of the twins. And Samantha's basically just like, well, I'll be outside in the lake if you need me. I'm going to go skinny dipping. And Paul like barely even hears her. So Samantha goes off on her own, and she's skinny dipping by herself. She gets on her raft, and Jason comes up, and he stabs her. Now this scene, behind the scenes, um, while they were shooting this scene, it was actually like mid-December, and it was freezing out. And I guess the scene took like hours to set up. And Ted White, bless his heart, the guy who plays Jason... He saw how cold she was getting. She was literally shivering in the raft. Because how they set it up. Basically like her head and like her upper body was like in the raft. But the rest of her was in the water. In the freezing water. And she had to like just sit in it forever. And she's basically demanding like hey I need out. Like I need to get warmed up. And the director Zito who's like this perfectionist. He was like no you know we gotta get the shot down perfect. And. Ted White actually put his foot down, and he was like, hey man, like, if you don't get her out of the water, like, I'm gonna walk out on this project, I'm gonna quit right here. So they eventually got the actress out, they warmed her up, um, so they could finish the scene. And from this movie, from this moment on, Ted White and the director, they didn't really see eye to eye, I mean, Ted White's really professional, but if you make him mad, I mean, he, he'll voice his opinion. And, you know, Zito, who's trying to do his job, I mean, it's just two kind of perfectionists trying to do their job. And Ted White saw this going on and thought it was wrong and put his foot down. The actress actually got hypothermia after doing this scene. She was sick for a long time afterwards, so Ted White was in the right, I would say. Paul eventually feels bad for ignoring his girlfriend and was like, oh, wait, she's outside uh, skinny dipping, maybe I should go out there. And so he goes out there, and he gets down to, like, his shorts and underwear, or maybe it's just underwear, and he swims out to the raft and sees that she's dead. 
And of course Paul's the next one to go, but I mean the way he goes. Jason stabs him in the groin area with a harpoon gun and then pulls the trigger and it lets your imagination do the work. With Paul leaving, Tina now does not have a guy to talk to, so she goes and talks to Jimmy. And Jimmy and Tina, they kind of hit it off, the music's playing, everyone's dancing. I mean, Crispin Glover, he looks like a chicken having a seizure while he's dancing. Like, his dance moves are just out there. But I guess the actors and actresses, whenever they... I think they went out to clubs behind the scenes and they said he was dancing there like that also so maybe this is just his style of dancing who knows interesting guy jimmy and tina go upstairs and this kind of leaves terry and teddy just sitting off on their own i mean we have two other main characters and we'll talk about them in a little bit but you can tell terry isn't that interested in ted and ted tries to make it cool by going up to her and says hey you want to kiss Teddy Bear? And he had literally just used that line on her, her sister like 10 minutes ago. So she just kind of gives him a... <laughs> and then like looks the other direction. And she's so uncomfortable that basically while Jimmy and Tina are upstairs like in bed. She opens the door and she's just like, yeah, I want to go home. And Tina's like, oh, go off on your own. Like I'll find a way home. And... Tina's like, all right, or Terry's like, all right, and she walks out, and she doesn't give Teddy one minute of her time. As Terry walks outside, a bolt of lightning flashes, which lights up the whole outside, and Jason goes up and stabs Terry, but we don't see that. What we see is the silhouette of Terry getting stabbed by Jason, and usually I think off-screen kills are pretty lame. Especially in a slasher movie. I mean, that's kind of the bread and butter. You gotta show what you're doing. But, I mean, this off-the-screen kill is actually a really do really well-done one. Speaking of off-screen kills, Mama Jarvis has one right after, and it, it's kind of a lackluster kill. Especially after Terry's. And, I mean, I guess they were gonna do a whole thing to where, when they ended the film, they were gonna show her dead body in the bathtub. Um... Trish was going to find her there. She's going to be like, Mom. And she's going to be like, be holding her body and her eyes are going to be white. And then Jason was going to pop out. And it was going to be another dream sequence ending. And I'm glad they didn't do it. Because do we really need a fourth one? We don't. So they abandoned that idea. And I, I think that was a good thing. Now the kills are having, happening left and right. Trish and Tommy, they get home from wherever they went. And, of course, their mom's dead, so they're looking around the house trying to find mom. And Trish goes up to Rob's tent. You know, the homeless guy they picked up who was demanding to know who was all around the area and was being very weird. And she opens up his tent. It's empty. And she goes inside the tent and, like, zips it up. And Rob, from the outside, approaches the tent with a machete, slashes it open... And then he's like, what are you doing in there? And she's like, what are you trying to do? Kill me? And it's like, well, yeah. I mean, that's kind of what I was thinking in the moment. But of course, that's not why Rob's there. Rob then goes into this backstory of how his sister was killed in this area. And his sister's name was Sandra. And Sandra was actually the girl that was killed in the double harpoon kill in part two. So that was kind of a, a cool little tie back to part two. Was it needed? 
No, but it's still cool. But, I mean, the thing about this thread is would Rob really have enough time to go down to Camp Crystal Lake to, like, exact revenge on whoever killed his sister? I mean, let's think about this. They found Jason and all the bodies at the very beginning of this movie, and I think the time that has passed is about, like, a day, maybe two, if we're lucky. And by that time, when they're finding bodies, they probably let Rob know... I mean, I'm not going to go into the semantics of all this, but basically what I'm saying is by the time he found out that his sister died and was murdered, and by the time he thought, hmm, I'm going to go get revenge, I mean, I don't know if he would be right then and right there at that moment. But whatever, that's what he's doing, so let's roll with it. We cut to Jimmy and Tina, they get done doing the deed. And Jimmy's all proud that he did that. So he goes downstairs and he sees Ted by himself. Ted uh, is just chilling on the couch smoking weed. Which I guess the actor who played Teddy... I guess he actually smoked weed before shooting a scene. And he said he became very paranoid. And it was like the worst decision he'd ever made. But Jimmy sees him there and he's basically like, yeah, I did it. And he gets a wine bottle, and he's going to celebrate, and he's looking around, can't find a corkscrew. So he yells, hey, where's the corkscrew? And Jason pops out of nowhere, slams the corkscrew into his hand, and then puts a meat cleaver to his face. Really cool kill. How they shot that scene, actually, they had a rubber meat cleaver with the middle kind of cut out in the shape of Crispin Glover's head. And they started the scene, Ted White held the cleaver to... Crispin Glover's face and then when they said action he pulled it away and they reacted just right and they reversed the footage to where it looks like he's hitting him with a cleaver when in reality when they filmed it it was starting at the face and pulling away just kind of a cool behind the scenes moment of that kill so Jason kills Crispin Glover or Jimmy in the kitchen I guess Teddy didn't hear it Teddy was too high or something and Terry's up in the upstairs bedroom, kind of just chilling on the bed. She walks over to the window, and Jason shoots through the window, grabs her, throws her out of the window, and she lands on a Volkswagen, which all the windows just bust. The vehicle goes out. It's a really cool scene. But, I mean, while you're watching it, like, these kills happen back to back. So it's like, whoa, how did Jason go from the kitchen to outside the window outside i mean he didn't even bother with teddy like he passed teddy up and he went outside climbed all the way up the house just to grab terry and throw her out i mean that's kind of convenient and a lot of people say he can teleport i know the reboot kind of went into the territory of he was has underground tunnels and that's why it seems like he can appear out of nowhere but i mean the tunnels don't really explain this kill because there's no tunnel that leads to the window upstairs. I mean, that's not how tunnels work. So, yeah, I don't know. But it happened. By this point, Teddy, he found himself a, a teddy bear. Get it? His name's Teddy, and he has a teddy bear. <laughs> but Ted earlier, he found, like, an old-school porn film and put it on a projector. And the way he's reacted, like, he's way too excited to have found this old-school porn video he's just sitting there laughing cracking up like it's awesome and he goes up to the projector screen and he's even like looking closely at it 
and he turns around and Jason stabs him. And that's how Teddy ends right then and there. Now, of the high school kids, there's really only two that I haven't talked about, and that's Sarah and Doug. And I didn't really talk about them because, I mean, their purpose of the film is they're basically just background characters. Whenever crazy stuff's happening, Crispin Glover's going crazy doing the wild chicken. I mean, they're like in the background, like clapping, jumping up and down. I mean, you completely buy their part of the group. They're not like the stoners from part three. You know, they just kind of stick out oddly and they're not really in the scenes with the other characters and they just kind of keep to themselves. And I mean, their main purpose was, hey, we're the stoners. I mean, like, these two, like, there's not a lot revealing about them, but they are in all the scenes, and they're part of the crew. Um, so we have Paul and Sarah. Sarah, uh, the character development they give her is that she is a virgin, and she is very not nervous about doing the deed. And then we have Paul, who is basically just her boyfriend. Not a lot of character development. I mean, this isn't Shakespeare we're talking about. It's Friday the 13th, so that's all we get. But they end up doing the deed in the shower. Um, the actress who played Sarah, she didn't want to show nudity, so they used a body double during the scene. After the deed happens, Sarah walks out of the shower, and Paul's like, oh, I'll just chill in here a little bit longer. And someone else approaches the shower, and he's like, oh, hey. And of course it's Jason. Jason punches through the shower and just obliterates his head. Really cool kill. Uh, with Paul being in the shower, the director, Zito, he said he wanted to reverse the stereotype. Um, going all the way back to Psycho, usually it's the woman in the shower that's vulnerable. So this time it's a guy. Sarah walks in, sees Doug's dead body, and she takes off running. I mean, very smartly, that's what someone should do. But as she approaches the door, um, Jason, again, finds his way outside, don't know how. And he throws an axe through the door, and she gets it to the chest. So, that's the end of her. But again, this is just Jason appearing and disappearing in different places. I mean, it happens a lot during this film. Eventually, Trish and Tommy get worried about their mom. They can't find her. They got Rob on their side now. He'll protect them, right? Um, and they make the decision that Trish and Rob and Gordon, the family dog, they're going to go investigate the other house, and they're going to leave little Tommy all alone behind. Questionable decision, but I mean, I guess you don't want to tight. You don't want to take him there. But yeah, just kind of questionable leaving him alone. But they do that, and when they go to investigate, um, they go inside the house, see things are off, and things are so bad that Gordon, the family dog, jumps out of a window upstairs. You know, there's a lot of shots of people going out windows. And a lot of them look very cool, but when the dog jumps out the window, it literally shatters the glass and is going in slow motion. It's just kind of a funny moment in the film. But after that happens, you never see Gordon again, at least not that I think of. And Rob goes downstairs to investigate and Jason corners him and starts stabbing him and Trish goes down there and while Rob's dying, he's screaming, he's killing me. He's killing me. He's killing me. And it's kind of a scary thought, you know, like, if you were to see that happen in real life when someone's literally screaming, he's killing me, as they're dying, like, that's kind of that's kind of a spooky thought there. But how many times he yells it, like, it kind of gives, like, a comedic effect a little bit. It's like, man, that, that was really overdone. But with Rob dying, this kind of opens up to Trish running back to find uh, Tommy, 
And this kind of sets us up for that typical final girl showdown between Trish and Jason. And as Trish starts running through the house, um, apparently Jason found time to take the dead bodies and decorate them throughout the house, throughout the exit, so that when Trish runs out, she would see them scattered all around. And one of them, as she goes out the door, was Crispin Glover's body. Um, it was, like, nailed to the doorway, so it was kind of blocking the exit. And she kind of dunks underneath. It's kind of an effective scare, but kind of a funny moment afterwards is Jason approaches Crispin Glover's body, and he just looks peed off that Crispin Glover is in the way. And he, like, rips his body down and, like, throws him to the ground. And it's kind of like, dude, you're the one who did that. Like, why, why are you still mad? You're the one who set up the whole thing. You're, you're the one doing this. Quit, quit pouting, Jason. Trish gets back to the house and sees Tommy. She's telling him, like, we gotta get out of here. No, actually, I think she wants to board up the house, not get out of there. So she does the opposite, I think. And they, like, start to board up the house. But Jason, like, jumps through a window and grabs little Tommy... And I guess whenever they're doing the scene, like, I guess before he jumps through the window, Jason does throw bodies through several other windows. And all of this was rehearsed, you know, when they were acting it out. Um, Corey Feldman and the actress that played Trish, like, they knew where the bodies were going to come flying in at. But what Corey Feldman didn't know is the window he was standing by, Jason going through the window and grabbing him. He had no idea that scene was going to happen. And in a behind-the-scenes interview, Corey Feldman was talking about how he was, like, screaming after the scene. And they are like, are you okay? And he's like, no, I am not okay. I am not okay. And then he said, like, it freaked him out for a while. Um, I'm guessing Ted White probably enjoyed doing that scene. Ted White and Corey Feldman did not get along behind the scenes. Corey Feldman said... The only per he got along with every person, every actor, actress, director, whoever. The only person he didn't get along with was Ted White. And Ted White, he said that Corey Feldman was one of the meanest kids he's ever met. So, there's a little bit of a culture clash between them two. Now, I will say with Ted White, he did look after a lot of the actors and actresses that were in this movie. It was nothing but golden things said about him, except Corey. And even when he calls Corey a mean kid, he says, you know, even though he was mean and he was a little brat, he really did handle himself really well on the set. Like, he treated it like he was an adult. The energy, the vibes that he brought, he was ready for every scene, every shot, and he said he did an awesome job on the film. And I mean, again, Ted White's just this very honest person. Um, if you ask him what his favorite part about being in Part 4 was about... He used to say, and I still think he says it a lot to this day, he says his favorite part was the paycheck. Um, he kind of joked about it, but he did say that was a big reason why he did this film. I mean, the money brought him in. He wasn't that big of a fan of the series. But, I mean, since the critical acclaim that he's gotten, like, people loved him as Jason. He's really kind of grown to, like, the fan base. He participates in all those little events out there. Um, he always does interviews. He's funny. He cracks jokes. Um, seems like a really stand-up guy and just a really honest guy. Now, after he scares Corey by going through the window, Trish distracts Jason, and they continue their little cat-and-mouse game. Trish smashes Jason's head with a TV, um, just has really cool moments, especially darting from the two houses, because the houses are really well done. I mean, I know one of the houses that the, like, high school kids stayed at, 
Um, I think that one was built by the production company, to where the other house was like an actual real house that has been used for several movies. The chase goes on, and Tommy goes to the bathroom and starts cutting his hair. Um, during this scene, I remember the first time I watched it, I was like, "What? what is Tommy doing? Like... We're in the run for our lives here, and Tommy's going to the bathroom, cutting his hair. Um, he's looking at a newspaper clipping that had a picture of Jason, I think, when he was younger. So maybe Tommy had the idea. I mean, he is the creator of Mask, so maybe he was trying to shape himself like Jason was as a kid. Um, and that's the little psychological game he's playing. But I feel like every time it's someone's first watch of the movie, they're like, what? what's the kid doing? Why is he cutting his hair? Um, but it all comes to fruition. Trish puts up a good fight, but Jason gains the upper hand. He's about to kill her. Um, then Tommy comes down the stairs, and Tommy is bald. He looks like a mini Dr. Evil. But Tommy says, Jason, Jason, and it distracts Jason just enough to where Trish knocks off Jason's mask, and we see this deformed-looking face, and it was modeled after the Swamp Boy that was um, in the uh, original movies that pops out of that swamp for that last minute scare. I think in the first one? In the first one? Yeah, the first one. So that's what his face was modeled as. But Tommy grabs the machete and like stabs him through the head and through the eye. And then when Jason falls, like he slides down the machete. Very cool kill. Um, of course, with Tom Savini behind the film it's going to be good they were going to do a much more graphic kill but i guess the producers they kind of stepped in they're like hey um we like the graphic kill but uh let's do a kill that preserves jason's body uh preserves it a little more and you know they kind of got the hint of like oh well they're probably going to make another one even though they told us it was the last one because everyone on the set they thought it was the legit last one and that's kind of the pattern with these movies. I mean, even after part two, like, they made a cake saying, like, yeah, it's the end of the franchise. We did good. The first one was a, a success, and this one's going to be good. It's the end, of J and the end of Friday the 13th. And then the third one, they're like, yeah, you know, it's another Jason movie, but that completes it. That's the trilogy. Then four, you know, it's the final Friday. Um, but of course it isn't. These movies keep going on. The kill doesn't end there, though. Tommy does get a few more whacks, and he grabs a machete out, and he just starts whacking Jason over and over again, going, Die! 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 And I guess Corey Feldman, he said that when he wore that little... the little wrap on his head to make him appear bald, because the director wanted him to originally shave his head, but I guess his agent was not having any of that. So he had to wear the bald cap, and I guess the bald cap was so uncomfortable. And he said by the time they got around to shooting that scene, he was just super frustrated. He hated, he hated wearing that cap, and he was just venting that frustration out in that scene. And you can tell he does a good job. You would think Trish, as the older sister, would kind of be like, whoa, 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 like, take it easy, Tommy. But she just kind of lets him hack away, and he has his moment. They also thought about doing a different ending to where Tommy made these, like, microwave gun and he blew up Jason's head with it. That was actually Tom Savini's idea and I'm really glad they didn't go along with that. I mean it's one thing for him to make these like super awesome masks but for him to be making microwave guns and gadgets you know like 
It starts to turn into like Inspector Gadget at certain points. I mean, this kid's like eight. You're gonna have him make an awesome mask. Let's, let's stop there. Let's not make him wear, make super weapons at the same time. So they made the right decision. Eventually, we get the ending to where Trish is in the hospital and sees Tommy, and she goes and hugs him. And as she hugs him, Tommy looks at the camera and he looks like super crazy. And it's supposed to be a hint of like, ooh, he could be the next Jason. And they kind of did what Halloween 4 did. Maybe it's something about franchises and number 4s to where they want to make the young main character the next killer. But then they never really follow through with it. I don't know. So yeah, that's the movie. Um, Really well done, in my opinion. I think it's a definite improvement over number 3. Uh, 3 does have Shelly, and I love Shelly. But Shelly is not enough to bridge the gap between 3 and 4. I think the the characters are better in this movie. Um, the young ones and the Jarvises. I mean, of course, Tommy's the iconic character. You gotta like this movie just because it started the, the Tommy trilogy, basically. 4, 5, and 6. Then you also have Crispin Glover working his magic. Him and Ted. I mean, I, I said some of the cringy things that they've done. You know, Ted holding the teddy bear. Um, smoking weed, looking at the old school porn movie but there's also like some kind of funny goofy things they do there is a scene in the kitchen where ted and jimmy are talking and ted like puts his hand in his pants unzips his fly and sticks his finger out of his pants and he's like hey look it and like while he's doing that like a girl walks into the kitchen and they're both like extremely embarrassed and crispin glover he's just like look at that he thinks that's funny he thinks that that's funny what he's doing and it was just kind of a goofy, funny moment. I enjoyed that. Alright, so that's four Friday the 13th movies in the back. What do you guys think? Do we think Jason can teleport? That's one theory I've read. There's other people that go with the, the theory of the tunnels and stuff, of the remake. But again, that doesn't really apply to Jason like climbing up to the window during that one scene. So I don't know. Is it just an inconsistency in the film? Probably. But yeah, we got the fifth movie coming up. A new beginning. That's a wild one. That one's a polarizing movie, to say the least. But I can't wait to do it. Uh, if you're still with me, feel free to subscribe and like this episode. That always helps the channel. And until next time, guys.